Well, this is Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Don Eubanks, member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians and associate of Dendros Group. I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group, VP of Programming at Ampers and Counter Stories producer. And I'm Anthony Galloway, partner at the Dendros Group and pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota. And uh, Luz Marie Freyas could not join us this evening, but we do have a special guest with us, and I would like our special guest to introduce himself at this time. Okay. My name is Joe Plummer. I serve as the general legal counsel for the Red Lake Band of Chippewa. I'm a Leech Lake tribal member. Well, welcome, Joe Anin. And um, so we have been doing a series of podcasts this summer where we've been going over uh, legislation that was passed. And this uh, this podcast will be the last one of that series. And so um, in this podcast, we're going to talk about recreational cannabis. Um, if you if everyone remembers, that was a big change in Minnesota law, and I think it happened back in May. And sales started August 1st. And one of the first places to open and legally sell marijuana was the Red Lake Band of Ojibwe Indians. And so, uh, Mr. Plummer, so, you know, one of the questions that I wanted to ask about um, about that was, how was Red Lake ready to open up a store August 1st when the law just passed in May? Uh, well done. The, the tribe had earlier legalized medical cannabis. And so uh, we did our, our homework ahead of time. We got a map of where all of the licensed uh, medical patients lived. And there are a lot of them up around our area. So the tribal council decided that they were going to develop a grow operation. And so we got our grow operation going probably three years ago. You know, we've worked out all the bugs, you know, got top-notch equipment, you know, from Canada, actually, and have a, a, a really nice, secure uh, grow facility. So we trained all of our growers and all of our uh, the, the sellers at the dispensary who were focused at that time on only medical to get them all comfortable with it and you know, get them used to the process and all of the different uh protocols that we needed to have in place to make sure that we had a, a safe product. You know, we had to have, of course, we have to have it tested and everything, make sure, uh, not not so much, you know, for the potency, but, you know, for the presence of molds and heavy metals and other contaminants. And so uh, we, we were able to put together a real good checklist, you know, of every time of all of our grows to make sure that it satisfied all those quality control type of uh, type of um, concerns. And then, you know, we, we had just been doing that for almost three years when the state legislation passed. And, you know, we actually did have a, a hand in, in in fashioning, you know, that state legislation. Uh, we're, we're very fortunate, you know, to be able to have a, a very good uh, rapport with uh, a lot of the legislators who who had actually sponsored this and you know this had been going on for probably three years ahead of time and one of the first legislators to spearhead it was uh, ryan winkleman and uh, ryan was a, a state representative out of golden valley 
and but he's from Bemidji, you know, and so oh. you know, we we know him up here and everything, and so he kind of kept us in the loop from the time he was a, a legislator, and then when he didn't run again, he passed the baton off to uh, uh, several of his other you know colleagues on the on the in the legislature, and we just picked it up from there and just continued it and got got a lot of tribal friendly provisions into that legislation. And it helps it helps all the tribes to tell you the truth. You know, and and thank you for that explanation because, um, you know, those of us who weren't familiar with that background, um, you know, I was it, it had I was just always wondering how Red Lake was so prepared and ready to go on August first. You know, while the rest of us are still scrambling to, I think, make changes to our constitutions in order in order to be up and running. But that you know that that's a fantastic explanation with that background, and um and it's nice to know that the tribes also had some involvement with the creation of that legislation, because yeah. you know our our history with the state of Minnesota is is on and off when it comes to those type of things. Yeah. Um, so so that's very encouraging. And and so I was just going to kind of read the bullet points from the law that was passed. And okay. so the law kind of uh, created more than a dozen types of licenses for growing, selling, transporting, and testing cannabis. Um, it created an office of cannabis management to regulate cannabis and take enforcement actions. And it's uh, a little hilarious what happened with the first uh, person that was appointed to that position and, and left uh, very quickly shortly thereafter. Um, okay, so here, here's here's another another kind of interesting piece. All of those different uh, there's twelve between twelve and fifteen different types of licenses in there, Don. Those only apply to the non-native uh, off reservation places. One of the things that we really um, pushed for in the legislation uh, is vertical integration. You know, we wanted to be vertically integrated because that's the way we had developed ourselves. And what that means is from seed to sale. You know, we go ahead, you know, we have the whole facilities, the growth facilities. We grow everything from a seed. We process it. We package it and we sell it. We want to have that vertical integration. You know, we want to be in control of it. Same way we have been for the past few years. And so that was included in there. Tribes are allowed to vertically integrate and they're allowed to be accepted out of all of those 12 to 15 different licenses. And uh, just for the listeners um, background, all of those licenses kind of fall into three categories. One is the, is the grower manufacturer. Another one is the wholesaler and the other one is the retailer. So we wanted to have all of them, and that's something that all the legislators kind of accommodated us with. That's fantastic, Joe. And I'm going to complicate this a, a, a little bit more. Okay. Uh, what's just you know the insider the insider um, in, um, intersections that happen often between tribes and state. Yeah. But that was going to be a question I was going to ask because Red Lake is unique yeah. in the fact that they are the one tribe in the state of Minnesota that did not agree to abide by public law 280. Yeah. Hold on. What is that public law, Don, for our listeners who don't know? Public law 280, essentially, where states were created 
around the reservations. Let me put it that way, because the reservations existed before the state of Minnesota did. But after the state of Minnesota was established, um, there was always, the state always had difficulty or questions with legal jurisdiction when it came to tribes. Um, Tribe, uh, legal jurisdiction fell to the federal government because that's where our treaties existed. And uh, throughout the United States, so it was it, it was every state that had reservations within their borders. And a compromise is they came up with this public law 280 that um, allowed the states to have civil and criminal jurisdiction, if I'm correct. Correct me yeah. if I'm wrong. Yeah. So, but the key, however, where the states had to agree to this. I'm a little blurry on when Public Law 280 was instituted. 1953. I, 1953. So, so it was after the creation of the Minnesota Chippewa Tribe. Yeah. And so the Minnesota Chippewa Tribe is comprised of six um, Ojibwe reservations in Minnesota. Um, Mille Lacs, Leech Lake, White Earth, Fond du Lac, uh, Boys Fort, and Grand Portage. Yeah. And um, But they agreed to... Uh, Public Law 280, Red Lake stood alone and did not agree to that agreement. So the state has no jurisdiction whatsoever over over uh, um, Red, Red Lake. Lake. But while there are many legal issues with Public Law 280, and yeah. we just this isn't the show we're talking about, you know, recreational cannabis. Yeah. But that's just some of the background, and yep. so I. Um, you know, Don, so, let me just dovetail with something, it, it, and it uh, it kind of precedes Public Law 280 a little bit. You know, back in 1889, you know, when the United States was uh, trying to uh, uh, push allotment on every on all, all the tribes, uh, then again, you know, the Red Lake chiefs um, said, "No way, you know, you're not going to do it. You're not going to allot up here." So. The tribe has about a million acres, and it's all owned in common. There's no non-Indian ownership up here. Everybody just gets a land assignment, you know, and they they live on it. And when they leave, then their land assignment's canceled, and somebody else gets it. You know, there's no land sales or anything like that. And part of the part of the deal done is in in 1889. You know, the same thing. You know, with where Henry Rice led that commission. He came up here and tried to sell that allotment, you know, to the chiefs and they wouldn't have any part of it. And so what the chiefs did just to make their intent clear, because they had been hoodwinked in the past, they had a map, you know, a Rand McNally map. And they literally drew on the map around both lakes, you know, showing this is what we meant. If if our words over the past two weeks didn't, you know, have an impact on you, this is something that illustrates it. Okay, so and it included around both upper and lower Red Lakes in between Red Lake and Washington, D.C., that map got substituted. And you see that one third of the upper lake, you know, that's uh, cut off. Ah, See, that's how that that's how that's how it got cut off. Yes. Okay. so you probably heard, you know, that we're pursuing that right now. And that's another issue that the same group of state legislators has been very supportive of us. And they're uh, they're going to be sponsoring legislation to return to Red Lake. All of those lands around the upper lake that are state in the hands of the state and over half of the lands around that part of the upper lake are in state hands. See, 
That's what I'm talking about. That's the kind of below the line information that I need. To, I need to have. You know, I mean, and and you know, we and we've touched on this subject previously, previously too, because, um, and I did not know that. I know so Red Lake's re- original reservation is intact, while the rest of us fell under that allotment act, right? And we lost ninety percent. And when I say we, it's a collective we. Yeah, because Indian are- country lost ninety percent of its land base due to that uh, allotment that Dawes Act. Yeah. And um, um, so it's good to know that Red Lake's land is still intact because the rest of the tribes are slowly trying to reacquire that that land. And we're helping them too, Don, giving them all of our roadmaps of how it's worked for us. You know, just, uh, you know, you know but we all pull our oar in the same you know direction. We get stronger, you know. So, Joe, I'm going to, Pull us back to our original conversation. Okay, sorry about that. I, no, 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 no. That's <laughs> no, fine because you and know. I, I think yeah. we could go all night, you know. know. And, and so, um, and it's needed. We keep finding that even if we touch a little thing, there's so little knowledge mm-hmm. that that folks have tried to omit from Native experience that we need this backstory just to have the little bit. We know that pattern keeps coming up. Yeah, and well, it's and it's and it's so nice to have. Not only an indigenous person with us, but someone who's a legal expert, and mm-hmm. and and uh, so I I feel I feel vilified because you know the two experiences I had as commissioner of health and human services were tremendous learning opportunities mm-hmm. for me, mm-hmm. and to learn what really happened as a result of our treaties, yeah. and the relationships we had and didn't have with federal, state, and county. Um, entities was was a tremendous learning experience oh yeah and uh and very complicated but you know so i know we were excited well just like everyone else when red lake opened their store on august 1st and um you know because it was a it was a big news story i mean they were showing lines outside your Mm -hmm. outside the store in red lake and uh, at least for a week you know, you know how mm-hmm. the news cycle is. I think it was about a week, and then it faded away. Yeah. Um, but but you know what, Don? You know, uh, we didn't have to spend any money on advertising. None whatsoever. <laughs> no. <laughs> it was all taken care of for you. I yeah. think every every major network and every local news network covered mm-hmm. that. Yeah, they did. And, uh, uh-huh. it, it, it was fantastic. And um, so, but so, how are sales going now? How is the store doing now, Joe? Well, it's doing it's doing well, and um, it's not as as good as the first two weeks. But you know, we we banked a lot of, uh, of money on this. You know, we're we're actually paying the tribe back. You know, for for all of the um, upfront capital expenditures. You know, I need to back up and explain something for you. In order for tribes uh, to be able to do this uh, safely. Um, we figured that the best way to do it is to set up a separate nonprofit corporation under the tribe that would house all of these activities because there's a lot of things, you know, that uh, like funding, for example, that would prohibit this type of activity if it was the tribe. So we wanted to separate it, you know, to make sure that it was a clean break. And that was a, that was a good move. That turned out to be a real good move for us. So does that nonprofit... Um... So while it so creating that, but it still falls under the 
tribe's jurisdiction? Yep, the tribe wholly owns it. There's one shareholder, and it's the tribe. The tribe okay. owns this nonprofit, and it's a nonprofit. And so that means that all everything after all the bills are paid has to come back to the tribe, the, the finances. So this is gonna this is a delicate question, Joe. Okay. So in Indian country, yeah, oftentimes our elected officials um will run those type of businesses to the ground. Is there a safeguard in there, some kind of way that prevents the elected officials from you know what I'm you know what yeah, I'm yeah, getting I at? I mean, uh, you know, uh, the Malax band did that with the creation of their casinos. Yeah. They set up a separate entity to govern the casinos, leaving it out of the hands of the elected officials. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the way we wanted to do this, too. And just let it, you know, grow. And, and we just we have experts that run it and uh, experts that grow and expert. And you're going to be seeing some new marketing coming out. You know, then we have, we got experts, you know, from California and Michigan on this. And, you know, we, we we have connections, you know, you know, with different places. Michigan, you know, went recreational legal about eight years ago. And a good friend of mine is from Saginaw, and uh, he was the lead grower on a outfit that produced 2,000 pounds per month. And I asked him if he wanted to come over and help us, and he's helping us. So he's really taking us to the next level. So we need to do stuff like that. You know, we need to reach out. And and, and this fella, you know, he's helping, you know, train Red Lakers on, you know, with all of his practices, you know, the way that he's done it. You know, I've got I've got two wonderings. One of them, and again, my learning curve is 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 exposed here, but I'm gonna do it because it's with family. So <laughs> that's okay. So I know that there's a challenge, um, or there's there's some kind of issue where uh, as tribes, you don't have taxing authority the same way the state does. And so other entities make up, kind of fund yeah. the services that happen. And I'm wondering, kind of similar to how casinos function in that role, uh, is this a sim- in the similar vein? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's very similar. Uh, the, these net uh, profits that I mentioned, you know, that are, are coming over, Anthony, you know, they... Um, they fund, you know, okay. they pick up the slack that the feds gotcha. don't provide, you know. And, and, and you've raised a really interesting point of this new legislation. But um, again, you know, we're we're fortunate to be able to influence this part. And that is no taxation for any right. tribe to tribe commerce. And mm. so, uh, so you know, when the regular systems op- open up, licensed by the state, they're going to be looking at at mm. least twenty percent tax. You know, ten percent uh, gross receipts, and then eight percent sales, and then on top of that, wherever whatever the local tax is. You know, if it's in yeah. Minneapolis or St. Paul, they'll have their own local tax on it. So you know, it's going to exceed twenty percent. So right out of the chute, we're saving. Mm-hmm. We got a twenty percent advantage. So you know we're we're doing things right now uh, that are just between tribes, tribe to tribe commerce. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, Joe Naquinabe was on our board here. You know, for for um, Red Lake Inc., which is the business arm of the tribe. And so we know that the Malax Don <laughs> is, is setting up a big grow operation right now. But we're, our plans are to dovetail because uh, what, what Malak's plans on doing 
is is to uh the processing you know the value-added products you know like the gummies a lot right. of people don't like to smoke most people don't so they like the oils and they like the pills and they like the they like the uh, gummies well that's what Malax is going to focus on you know removing you know uh, the cannabinoids and making these value-added products and so we're gonna we're we're gonna do business with them so just again for background um, I know exactly who you're talking about, Joe, but Joe Nakwanabi, there's two. Oh, so the, uh, I, I, I happen to work with his father. Okay, um, the younger. Joe, <laughs> the, and then the, the younger, his son, yeah. is our uh, current commissioner of um, corporate affairs. That yes. oversees yep. the band's uh, casino is another business. Yeah, entity. he is. He's a pretty sharp guy. <laughs> I've seen a couple yeah, of presentations. He is, he is <laughs> pretty sharp. So I just want I just yeah. wanted to explain that to our audience that, yeah. that there are two Joe and I know them both. So, okay. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's good to know because I, you know, I was wondering if um, other tribes were approaching Red Lake oh, yeah. to gain some of the experience from you guys that you guys have built in the past three, four years. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, no, we're, we're in the planning stages of working out deals, you know, that will benefit, you know, um, everybody. Uh, so we were talking about Red Lake being, you know, a, a closed border reservation compared to the other ones in the state. Has that worked um, for or against you, um, especially right, right when, you know, August 1st hit? Uh, I know people I know people who are like, I'm driving up to Red Lake tonight. Like people yeah. who are just like, you know, saying stuff like that. But nobody is, has um, we haven't recognize that there's been any problem with it i mean just just to be straight with you mm. uh most of the customers were driving from the twin cities yeah and most of them <laughs> were, were middle-aged or elder people yep you know, mm. we, we have all of our demographic we keep all of our uh, all the okay. records and everything but that's our and, and interestingly the the um, the demographic uh, population, you know, that patronizes the dispensary is, is the same demographic as the casinos. Hmm. Hmm. And, you know, <laughs> now, Joe, that that brings a smile to my face. Yeah. Because often on our on our uh, podcast here, I retired from teaching social work at Metropolitan State University. Okay. And one of the classes I taught was called... Um, um, comparative racial and ethnic analysis class. Mm -hmm. And in that class, I would, on the our first meeting, I would ask the students <laughs> what mm -hmm. I thought was a simple question. I would ask them, how many reservations are there in Minnesota? And in the seven years that I taught, not one student was able to answer that question. And unfortunately, even our indigenous students that were in our program couldn't answer that question. Um, right? Yeah. So... I, to me, I thought that was, should have been general knowledge that our educational system, for whatever reason, we have 11 reservations in Minnesota, and yeah. yet the average Minnesotan does not know that. Yeah. But that demographic you were talking about, I would yeah. ask them, how many, how many casinos have you been to? And they'll start naming <laughs> off the casinos yeah. one after another, yeah. and there's no association. They don't associate that casino with that reservation. Yeah. It just—it's amazing. Yeah. And um, so I was wondering what kind of demographic because Red Lake is a long drive. <laughs> yeah. And you know, and and unfortunately for you guys, you're so far north yeah. that one has to make 
an extreme effort to get there. Oh, I know. And so that's why what we're doing, Don, is we're figuring out ways how we can partner with tribes that are closer. Ah. And, uh, and and actually, what we have some things in the works right now, you know, we're for the short term, for the first five years, we're going to be a big supplier. And, um, and but, you know, for the for the short term here right now, uh, we have a, a mobile dispensary and you'll be hearing about it. It's it's going to. Uh, we're, we're talking with the guys over Fond du Lac and we're going to, we're going to park it over there. And, uh, and we, we've come up, you know, with, with some, with some issues that we wanted to warn them about is, you know, you can't mix gaming and cannabis. You know, there's a national Indian gaming commission, uh, bulletin on it. Um, but we figured out, you know, the exact boundaries of that. And it depends on the legal description of your license through national Indian gaming commission. So if the if the NIGC National Indian Gaming Commission license includes just the footprint of the building, you can park it out in the park parking lot. <laughs> but, but, but but if it but if if the license uh, property includes the parking lot, you can't do it. And yeah, we probably could fudge it a little bit, but we didn't want to because you know we didn't want to wreck it for everybody. You know, at the beginning, and so over Fondulac. You know, they bought some property on the east side of I-35, you know, just right across I-35 on the other side from Black Bear. And, oh, yeah, by that quick trip in the yep, um, candy yep, store? So that that's where we're going to park it. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> when, the, when the law was kind of coming together, um, yeah. you know, I think there are a lot of other uh, – there were a lot of non-Indigenous folks who were really excited about this, saying like, oh, I'm going to start my own thing or, um, you know, and that was, that seemed to be a little difficult. One of the things the law was um, supposed to be doing was creating grants to assist individuals um, into entering the cannabis market. Um, I don't know if you've seen that outside of outside of the tribal network at all. Well, oh, we, we read the news about that IRRRB and we were disappointed with it. You know, where they uh, gave uh, 20 million uh, forgivable uh, loans uh, to this uh, outfit over and I think it's going to be in Grand Rapids. It was that old uh, used to be a potlatch uh, OSB board plant, you know, that Ainsworth, the Canadian company bought then shut it down. They want to use that property for a, a grow operation. This is this is not a local um, business really? either, Don. This is from mm. Missouri, all places. Yeah. Huh. Oh, yeah. I remember. I remember that when it when it hit the news. Yeah. And and I mean, it was incredible. They were going to give all this money yeah. to this outside group that had nothing to do with Minnesota. I know. Uh, again, remember it was the IRRRB. They're not <laughs> known for doing things on the straight and narrow. Uh Tell me what IRRRB is. Oh, it's uh, Iron Range Resources and Rehabil Rehabilitation Board. I think this was like our fear, right? Our fear was that this this was going to pass. There's going to be all yep. this money that was supposed to go into helping individuals, but none Correct. of that's going either to Minnesotans or people of color and indigenous folks, right? So yep. that was our big concern. You know, that's a very important point, Lee. And, you know, we've been pushing back on this. And what we kept getting from the legislators was um, the member of the two medical cannabis, uh, the uh, Leafline and Virio. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, they were the only reason they got, you know, those licenses is because they were local. Shortly after they got their licenses, they sold them out to national outfits. So they're not local anymore. Neither one of them are local. Oh, and, and they're the huh. ones that are trying to court all of the tribes right now because they know that they have huge overcapacity. I know that uh, Governor Walls had promoted from the beginning. You know, he, he said he wanted the tribes to be the big player in all of this. And he wanted us to be the growers. He wanted us, you know, all of the. Mm-hmm. And, um, the, the, of course, you know, there's always these little um, loopholes, you know, that people find, you know, that they're trying to exploit right now. And so I just want to let you know about that. Oh, that's that's that was our big fear. And I think our other big fear was, you know, um, they're expunging low level marijuana offenses from criminal records. I don't know if yeah. that's been happening. You know, it I, has been. That, it has. Okay, good. And I, good. Yep. I think they should go up too. You know, yeah. to some of the other ones because they're really not that much different than the lower level convictions. We know the benefits from other states when yes. we not only keep things local, but when we pair it to these expungements. I know there are many in in Black and Indigenous communities who uh, were snatched up with 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 these low level charges for something. Um, while while we have legal more harmful substances to the body on 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 display. So as this shifts, you know, we've got we've got a whole lot of folks who 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 need the help. And so it, do I remember correctly that there's a provision in here that provides legal aid for to help folks get those off the off their records? You know, I don't know, but we do have two uh, nonprofits, you know, up uh, in northern Minnesota. We have Anishinaabe Legal Services that uh, serves Red Lake, Leech Lake, and White Earth, and we have Regional Native Public Defense that provides uh, criminal defense. You know, to uh, all of those uh, across seven counties, those attorneys from those entities assist people. You know, in getting those expungements. And then Malax has their Malax Band they, Legal Aid. The, yep, their band member Legal Aid. Yeah, which is you know which I thought was fantastic. Um, Although it did create, when I was commissioner, there would be times where the intersection between our band member legal aid and what we were doing in tribal government didn't always see eye to eye. Oh, yeah. But that, you know, but that's just the way things are. I know. You know, the other thing, uh, Joe, I, you know, I, I I have to admit that on, on recreational uh, cannabis, yeah. I, I actively listened to to the debate about it. And I, and medical marijuana, I don't think I had as much of a reaction, but you know, I need to be open on this because I'm what been sober now 30, let me see my son, 34, 33 years. And one of my previous positions, when I left Malax the first time I became director of the chemical health division for the state of Minnesota. So I oversaw the state's treatment and prevention system for seven years. So that side of me (laughs) still has a reaction to legalizing marijuana. And, um, and so, you know, you know, we know that in our community that drugs, not just marijuana, but drugs, drugs, um, have been fueling, um, such social unrest on our reservations through gang involvement through, and it just goes on and on and on. Mm -hmm. 
And so I'm always a little concerned about the backside mm. of recreational cannabis. I know that it's expunging, um, it's expunging uh, records, and rightfully so, for you know, because uh, the war on drugs was was only directed against African Americans and us. Yeah. Right. I mean, when I was director, I could see it. I could see the stats day in and day out. You know, there's still that dark side. I mean, yeah. I have to admit, I'm I'm I get a little concerned. I, I'm already concerned about individuals who get drunk and get in a car and drive. Yeah. Now I'm concerned about folks who are blasted out of their mind uh. on marijuana and uh and not paying attention to the road. I mean, you know, so those are just some of the, that's some of the backside oh, yeah. on, on these issues. And I'm, I'm wondering how you, how, how, you know, how do we, how do we discuss that? How, how do we work our way through those kind of things? Well, you know, Don, we have a little sheet that we give out to all the customers that have all of these things on it. Don't drink, don't drive, don't possess this amount. If you're going off the reservation, just all of it. It's just a summary of all of the, of, of the laws that people need to be aware of. And me, I'm not, a, I'm, I'm with you. You know, I got 35 years of sobriety and congratulations. Thanks. And, and so I'm not, a, uh, I don't use or anything, drugs or alcohol or anything. Um, but what I do see is I, I see so many, so many of, uh, of our people, you know, are dying of this, of these opioids, you know, right out my window right here is the Red Lake Community Center where, you know, where the, where, the funerals from from this community, you know, mm. take place, and I mean, there were there have been so many overdose deaths from from fentanyl up here, and so one of our strategies is to first, you know, when people are hooked so bad on the opioids, get them cleaned out, use the box, and to get them, you know, kind of settled um, off of you know the illegal stuff. And then, you know, get them into the talk therapy and the treatment and then kind of introduce this as a as an alternative to, to those mm. hardcore things, including Suboxone, which is, you know, it, it, it's a medicine that's prescribed and everything. But, you know, you can get hooked on that, too. True. You know, um, I don't know if I should mention it or not, but when I was in office at at a. At DHS, it was in my administration that we put that money out in Indian country. Yeah. To introduce, uh, back then it was buprenorphine. Yeah. And uh, so we, you know, we put that money out there for Indian country to address that. And that was back in the early 2000s uh, before uh, before Oxycontin. Oh, yeah. Hit us. Oh, yeah. That, and, was, uh, that was bad. You know, I was just as that. Because the uh, oxycon, we'd been tracing that from the west and east coast. I don't think you're alone there, though, Don. Because I think, I mean, for for people in general, there was always the stigma of like, oh, doing weed makes you so bad, you're so terrible, whatever, whatever. And now all of a sudden, it's cool and it's fun, and everybody wants to do it, right? There's a, there's a little bit of that perspective as well, like that I'm seeing. Before it was like, oh, you're such a pothead. Blah, blah, blah. And then every now and then, hey, can you get me some weed because I want to try it? Or, you know, we're doing a girls weekend. Can you get me a joint? This, that. And then it's always very hush, hush. And all of a sudden now it's like, oh, we do it too. It's cool. Now we, we all do it. I mean, there's a, a there's a little bit of 
a change in in our society in in the state once this passed it was like oh i'm no longer calling you a druggie i'm no longer calling you a pothead because now we all kind of do it or we can we have the opportunity to do it and it's cool now it's, it reminds me of back of like when i was in school and people like people in elementary school would try cigarettes and they're like, it's cool. It's cool. You know, people who smoke are cool um, because it's legal. And it was like, Oh, before it was, before it was legal, it was so, you know, you were a druggie, you were a pothead, you were, you know, a burnout, blah, blah, and all mm -hmm. this stuff just because you partake every now and then. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, I mean, that's, that's changed. I don't know if, if you've seen it on the reservation. It's, I've, I've it's seen changed, it. right? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it. I've seen it here. Cause like like even just talking to cousins and, and distant relatives about it, they're always like, let's drive up to Red Lake. Let's drive up to Red Lake. And like, uh -huh. even getting this, this perspective that like Red Lake is the, is like uh, where, where the druggies are like Red Lake is where, you know, like getting this perspective. And I'm like, just because they were quick on the ball to get, you know, open their shop doesn't mean they're a bunch of potheads that run Red Lake, you know? Oh no, it's not. And you know, we all have receptors in our in our brain and things. Yeah, where this where the cannabis works as a medicine, and you and uh, uh, people, you know, when they get to, you know the elderly age and stuff, they have trouble sleeping and stuff. Believe me, you know that works for many people. You know, just to not to smoke, but take a little uh, gummy and chew it, and boy, you get a good night's sleep. You know, people really appreciate. You know, mm -hmm. that that has been the 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 conversation amongst um, me, my generation in particular, and my elders in my community. And that, you know, marijuana becomes what it is because of a stereotypical stigma that was put on there that had nothing to do with um, it, quote unquote, being a nefarious at all. And in fact, if you're going to smoke, drink or use cannabis. Uh, cannabis is the thing that's not going to kill you in the way that <laughs> cigarettes and alcohol will, um, you know. And, and so I think one of the things I think is a benefit to this, and this is one of the, the arguments that we've been having, is that when we had stigmatized this thing that is less death deadly than many of the other legal things that we have on the market, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, now we can actually talk about it, right? So, so I asked the question, it's the difference between not saying anything about it and then not getting all this education or actually having an opportunity to get some of the education about what it really is and what it really does um, and when and when you shouldn't use it, right? If it's in the light, we can actually have an approach. Once it's, when it's in the dark, there's nothing you can do about it. And which one would you rather have? That usually kind of tips the conversation. Well, well you know, along these, these, uh, those lines, Anthony, um, you, you know, just because, it, you know, it's legalized uh, at the tribe level and off the reservation, too, it doesn't mean that people can be irresponsible in their environment. You know, they right. have to, we have the same, you know, levels uh, that we had before, you know, uh, policies of, you know, you can't be under the influence of anything, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, the, it's... It, because it's so new, we're all going to be working our way through and finding the right balance, you know. Uh, and and I I think that we um, we we project uh, that um, people will will use it responsibly. You know, I we we joke around. People around here you kind of goofy acting all the time, and you know we talk about <laughs> heck. You know, you never see anybody getting a speeding ticket when they're high on marijuana. <laughs> 
there. That reminds me of that uh of uh Cheech and Chan. Yeah. Them, them boys would just pull over and roll their windows up, right? Yeah. But it, you know, I think those kind of discussions, and it might be generational, you know, Joe, because I think you and I, who both have over, you know, 30 years of sobriety, yeah, you know, we grew up in that time period where marijuana was stigmatized. I mean, I remember mm. um uh, Reefer Madness. Oh, the yeah. movie Reefer Madness. Remember that? Right from the 50s, huh? Yeah, I, <laughs> I remember stupid it. stupid movie. Uh, but I'm just saying, you know, so we were stigmatized with marijuana. Yeah. And it, it it's hard to work your way through that, mm-hmm. to, to debunk that, put all that to the side. When you're helping Minnesotans get into treatment and marijuana is classified as a drug, it all of a sudden now it's not at least here in Minnesota and other states, it's hard to kind of put that to the side. Yeah. And um, so I'm, you know, and I just admit, I'm still working my way through that. Yeah. But, you know, I hear, but, and it's not so much the cannabis. I'm hearing that, I'm hearing more issues with um, with folks who are, are uh, that take THC. Uh, either either in a gummy and or now it's introduced into uh beer. Mm, oh, not yeah. beer I guess, you, I guess you can yeah. get yeah. seltzers yeah. or whatever. Uh, but but I'm hearing that, you know, folks, there's a an adjustment period for individuals who drink that because unlike cannabis, where you're gonna take a drag and you're gonna have usually have an immediate effect. Yeah. You're gonna feel something right after you hit hit that joint. Um, when you drink this THC, it doesn't hit you right away. Yeah. So you're not able to regulate your intake of that. And so I think I've been hearing stories of individuals who might drink two, three cans or however it's dispensed. Yeah. And then an hour or two later, it starts to hit <laughs> when it kicks in. <laughs> that was one of the things that came through it, too. You know, I know somebody who works at some of the breweries who are brewing some of those seltzer things and the warning. They spent a lot of time in their rollout just putting those warnings in there to say, hey, you got to give this a minute. Here's the expected time frame. But again, that's part of the learning and education. And and we're still, yeah. as far as I know, in terms of medical science, zero overdose deaths on cannabis. So, I mean, you can't, you know, there's there's that. I'd rather figure out the education with something that doesn't, again, ha- I, I, I have lost people to alcoholism. I have lost people um, to lung cancer. I have lost people to all these other illicit drugs. Marijuana just ain't. One of the things that I go, oh, I lost this person to marijuana. Now, again, you got to still study the research, right? Because we, we are seeing links to anxiety and depression for certain folks and populations. We don't know because it's been in the dark for so long. We haven't, we don't have the study and the research around long-term effect. And all of those things are important. But we definitely know the long-term effects of cigarettes and alcohol. They don't listen to the show, so they won't know that I'm sharing this. But um, so m- what my sisters ended up doing was they all got together. They were visiting our friend out in Colorado, and he provided some chocolates and some gummies. And d- they divided it up in like two milligram pieces. And so they all did it together in hotel room with him being completely sober watching them. So if people are like concerned about what their reaction 
it's going to be like that was just a super responsible way I felt for them to be able to explore like what they can handle. I just think that's a really responsible way of going about it. Oh, so, you know, Haley, I want to mention something, and this is very interesting. And we didn't know this, but we have a, a friend who's a, a retired chemist. He's in his 80s. He's got like 150 patents, but he developed a process for 100% water-soluble liquid cannabis. Now, the things that everybody has just been um, describing right there is the current, you know, popular method of of um, producing, you know, these edibles. And it's known, you know, by the chemist as an oil system. And so that's the reason, you know, why it takes so long to kick in, because it doesn't go through the receptors in the mouth, you know, like the smoking done. It mm -hmm. instead relies on the digestive system. But the process for this oil-based system messes with the liver because of the oil-based nature of it. And so uh, our friend Don, the chemist, patented this process using four different food-based um, patented products that were each individually patented in their own right. He figured out the right proportion of these four to mix to make 100% water soluble. So you drink it and it affects you right now. Let me say, just as a disclaimer, given our recent um, sharings, we are not medical professionals. We are just sharing our experiences and our knowledge. Um, please consult your own doctors and all those kinds of things. Let me just say that so Lee doesn't have to edit that in later. Thank you. Okay. So, I, so I I have a just a general question, Joe. So, if I'm don't want to make that drive, yeah, up to Red Lake, can I call the store, order, and have it delivered? You know what? We're just talking about that <laughs> because here's two ways we're thinking about it: either you know taking the orders and then sending them out, you know, through UPS or something. And the other way was, is we would let everybody know that we'd be driving over, we'd be over at uh, <laughs> at Malax, or we'd be over at Hinkley on a certain date. And so we would take all the orders and we'd take the mobile dispensary down there. And then all the people would, uh, you know, had already paid for it and ordered it would be able to pick it up. You're going to call it you, you Uber Weed? <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say, yeah, you have to come up with a better name for that mobile weed. dispensary. I'm thinking like the what Weed if, Mobile. What if we yeah. just call you, Joe? <laughs> that's not what new. if we just I've, order through you, Joe? That's not new, Anthony? Okay. No, no, it's not. It's not new. New York. Um, I was in New York for some work and definitely walked by some cannabis food trucks. So it, it mm. had both, which sold both um, cannabis items and then food items that were infused using cannabis oils yeah. um you know one of the wonderings i have though you know because as we destigmatize we and we decriminalize right we have to continue to do that work not just with our language but for all the folks who've been hurt you know you know how many people who who all they were in jail for was um was was a pot charge right was a weed yeah. charge and otherwise had no other you know, the, no other, you know, criminal inclination, no other issues in, in their entire lives. But they get this was using as an excuse to lock folks up to get the numbers and feel like you're doing good on crime. And so how do we restore? You know, it, what are the conversations about restoring the damage that this stereotype has done? Because that's really what this is. The only reason it's illegal is because of stereotypes that 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 white yeah. dominant culture tried to make against against folks by calling it something that, quote unquote, sounded Spanish 
in you know because of their that that prejudice yeah well you know well anthony that the legislation that we're talking about includes you know the uh, mandatory expungement for the lower level but there's a good argument that could be made because there's already an expungement process you know, on the books in Minnesota mm -hmm. anyway. But even though it's not a mandatory expungement for the higher level ones with the you know higher volumes, you know, of, of the product that got the folks uh, convicted earlier, there's a good argument that could be made for a permissive expungement in those circumstances also. And we've done many. So, so does that mean currently? There, you're not even even if you wanted to do that, you're not permitted under our state law. Well, well uh, th there's the mandatory ones, the mandatory mm -hmm. expungements for the lower level. Uh, yeah. But uh, that that mandatory doesn't close the door on expungements that could otherwise take place for the higher. Oh, OK. See what I mean? Gotcha. So it, it's a, what what's called a permissive expungement, not a mandatory one. Got it. Got it. Yep. So, Joe, what, um, so for those of us, I mean, we, all of us understand lower and higher. Yeah. But what is that legal threshold? So when we say lower, um, you know, the low level marijuana offenses. Yeah. What, where, where was that cut off? Well, uh, do you know what I'm trying yeah. to say or? Well, with, with marijuana, the the uh, it's the lowest level felony, you know that uh, that got people you know convicted. You know, even high volumes, you know, was not a serious felony. Oh, but okay. it you know worked its way up into the mid level, not the highest aggravated felonies, but like the mid level. If you have a trunk load or something, you know, and then that would uh, be a situation. If that's the person's only conviction. But I, to me, you know, that would be a good case for an expungement. And the expungement has to go back to the county where the conviction occurred. And there has to be notice, you know, to the prosecution and to the attorney general. And they have to have a chance to respond to it. But most of those ones, and you know, in my, you know, inclination is that uh, th these would not be uh, opposed if the person, you know, stayed out, out of trouble otherwise. So I'm so happy to hear that that you, Joe, um, were involved um, with the creation of this and keeping um, the the tribes involved and and um, all the um, you know that relationship and um, bringing in that money, um, giving you know you guys the opportunity to to work on this, um, to be able to be the leaders in our state on this. So it is part of the law to enforce um, cannabis other the other parts of the cannabis law. And there, you know, there is stuff going on with like white earth, right? Um, a raid on a place yeah. in white earth. And so then there's been conversation about, well, how, what is going to be the difference between how the state oversees the tribal sales versus non-tribal sales? Well, you know, the, that, uh, that was Todd Thompson. I know Todd real well. I represented him on a treaty rights case and, and we won. It was over at the hole in the day lake over on 371 up by Nisla. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And Todd, Todd threw his uh, net in over on across the lake over on Gull Lake side. And, and uh, we, we got all that dropped at the Court of Appeals. But Todd's the one who was just raided. You know, he, he's a very good person. He's very good hearted. 
he's uh, him and his dad, you know, were Leonard or, or just instrumental, you know, as allies and in, in furthering our off-reservation gathering rights. I mean, those guys, Todd and his dad were really, we very useful. You know, we, they, they, they gave us the fact situations that we could make these arguments, you know? And, um, and, and so I really feel for Todd and I think there's a way out of it. Uh, in fact, my son, uh, you know, I have three sons, Don, who are attorneys <laughs> too. And one mm. came to me last night and he, and he showed me Todd's stuff. And I said, you know, you should go help Todd. You know. Well, you know, that there's, there's background in, in, in this, incident joe that that you know is very complicated and we we're running out of time we just don't have enough time yeah and it's those news stories that we see right we see the news story that's like six paragraphs long and it sounds to us something really terrible but now i'm hearing all this other stuff Mm -hmm. and there's just this is the the it's not it's it's really not terrible but it's testing exactly what sovereignty means yeah what it means mm. and what it doesn't mean. And, and, mm. and, and like I said, it, it, it's, it's a topic that, you know, I would love to do a show on because most people don't understand that. Yeah. But, you know, it's a question that it's a question that I was asked when I was interviewed to become director of the chemical health division. Wow. And I was asked by an indigenous person in the twin cities. Mm. And, and so, you know, mm. but like I said, if, it, it opens up a can of worms that that individuals like Joe, you know, have to work in that arena day in and day out. And then we get the advice from them as as appointed and elected officials. But it it that's a tough one because he uh, Thompson was testing, yeah, <laughs> seriously testing what it means to be sovereign. Yeah. And so, you know, and and um and 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 it will be interesting it will really be interesting because there are many there are many in any country who want to test what it means to be indigenous and sovereign and what that really means and and um but I, I don't think I'll go any deeper than that okay. because, like I said, we could spend a, a yeah. whole show yeah. because, you know, I because I, as a Mille Lacs member, I just got a survey that was sent to me as a result of the Minnesota Chippewa tribe looking at the question of changing their constitution. And one big question in that constitution is blood quantum. Yeah. And, and you know, right mm-hmm. now, uh, the Minnesota Chippewa tribe has their blood quantum, and most of the tribes that are members of MCT at one fourth. And this questionnaire is asking us if we want to keep that one fourth blood quantum in place, or do we want to change that? And that's a very hard question, you know. That I've also brought up, and Joe, you know exactly what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah. That's a tough one. That that that's a very tough one because it was put in place by the Bureau of Indian Affairs and the federal government as a means to eliminate us, that yeah. we would eventually procreate ourselves out of existence. Yeah. And so you have that, but nowadays you throw on on, you know, economic um uh the economic impact of changing blood quantum to tribes. Yeah. And it's tremendous. I mean, you know, so it's mm-hmm. a very, very tough question. And, and Thompson just kind of opened up that 
type of can of worms. Yeah, no, <laughs> but, but he always does that. And, and true. Uh huh. And, and uh, I don't know whether you know his dad, Leonard, or not, Don. But he's a retired Minneapolis firefighter. You know. And uh, he's really a good-hearted guy. He really is. But he learned it. Todd learned it from his dad. You know, ah. his dad. His dad has always been. <laughs> sounds like sounds like people we should we should have on the show sometime. Yeah, yeah, it does. I was just thinking that. <laughs> I'll remind the listeners we did a show on blood quantum, so go out to our website and uh, find that one. And it sounds like we're gonna have to have Joe back I on think again. So. To talk about so uh, much more. So. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, you, you know, uh, that whole issue, it's been going on for a long time. I remember 20, 25 years ago, Don, where the Minnesota Chippewa tribe had the same issue, you know, about what are we going to do, you know, with the blood quantum issue. I remember having a big, it was like a two-day meeting down at Mille Lacs Lake, you know, in, in one of the big uh, conference rooms there over by on the gaming side. And... Uh, that nothing ever came out of that. No, no. Mm. Finally, now it looks like there's going to be a secretarial election. You know, uh, secretary of the interior uh, election. You know, to um, to see whether or not all the Minnesota Chippewa tribe members are in favor of changing the, the blood quantum requirements. Yes, I think something's going to come out of that. You know, either that and or there were two questions that they asked. One was the entire membership of MCT voting and or the adult members of each individual tribe allowing to set their own. So I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see how, what the results of the survey. Yeah. When it's returned. But again, like I said, we were talking about recreational cannabis. Oh yeah. (laughs) But when I, but, but I, to have someone, on our show that is as knowledgeable and well-versed as you are, Joe, is such a pleasure for me because I can have a true conversation with someone who knows exactly what I'm talking about and can, and can answer, you know what I mean? And, and to have that kind of, it's just been warm to my heart. Oh, thank you. And and I know that I, you know, that meeting you were talking about 25 years ago, that's when I was uh, um, commissioner the first time. Okay. So I may have been at that meeting. Okay, <laughs> so, probably were. Uh-huh. <laughs> I may have been at that meeting. <laughs> so, but I think that I think we need to wrap up and and you know, I know we started talking about recreational cannabis and I think that was a very great discussion. I think Red Lake has positioned himself very well and I think I look forward to Indian country being able to come to Red Lake for that expertise and knowledge as each of the tribes, because uh, I know there's talk at Mille Lacs, they've been moving into this direction yeah. a little bit slow, slower. And I think many of the other tribes are moving in this direction also. Oh, yeah. And 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 it's nice to know that, that Red Lake is ready to share that experience and that knowledge. And then the other thing that I, that I heard expressed that at least I picked up on is that the tribes have to keep their wherewithal about them and or because there's outside entities that would like to swoop in and take advantage of us, much like they did when they negotiated the treaties with us. Oh, yeah. You know, there's always an ulterior motive hmm. about those treaties that we were never aware of back then when we signed them. And some of our forefathers mm-hmm. had the wherewithal about them to know that it was deeper than what they were telling us at that table. Yeah. And and those same efforts are happening here. And not only to tribes, 
And so, you know, so there have been mistakes along the way yeah. on the state side, and we hope that those things improve and, and uh, improve for all of us here in the state of Minnesota. This has been Counter Stories. I'm Don Eubanks, member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians and associate of Dendros Group. I'm Halili, owner of The Other Media Group, VP of Programming at Ampers and Counter Stories producer. And I'm Anthony Galloway, partner at the Dendros Group and pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota. And Joe? Joe Plummer, legal counsel for the Red Lake Band of Chippewa. This has been Counter Stories, a co-production of the Counter Stories crew and Ampers Diverse Radio for Minnesota Communities with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.